The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the topic I'd like to speak about tonight is ignorance. Ignorance. And I'm going to begin with a little Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, where basically Calvin and Hobbes are sitting, are standing on the street waiting for the school bus. It's a cold morning. They have their mittens on and their lunch boxes. And Calvin says, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to know anything new. You know, and it goes through several, you know, um, uh, boxes with the little, with the um, strips. I already know more than I want to. I liked things better when I didn't understand them. The fact is, I'm being educated against my will. My rights are being trampled. And Hobbes asks, is it a right to remain ignorant? And Calvin says, I don't want to know. (laughs) I refuse to find out. Unfortunately, ignorance is not always bliss. In fact, the Buddha taught that ignorance, delusion, is the root of all unwholesome activity. And it can be seen any time that there's attachment, fixation, identification. Any time we're not recognizing the three characteristics of anicca, impermanence, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and anatta, not-self. Basically, it's when we're not recognizing suffering and the causes of suffering. So many times in our days, we're caught up in delusion. We're lost in fantasy, lost in planning, lost in judging thoughts. The mind just is wandering around its stories, sustaining suffering, rather than turning away from suffering, rather than ending the causes of suffering. And we might feel this suffering or unsatisfactoriness even in our bodies. We might feel restless. We might feel agitation. We might feel reactive. When we're caught in a cycle of deluded suffering, we might repeat destructive patterns of thoughts, build up anxiety, depression, spiral into uh, very unwholesome states. And sometimes we know that we're deluded simply because we know that we're suffering. Our relationship to that recognition that we're suffering is going to determine whether or not we're going to feed the suffering or whether we're going to discover the end of it. The Pali term for ignorance is avidya. Vidya means knowledge, and the ah is a negation. So it's a negation of knowledge without knowledge or unknowing, not knowing. And in the Buddhist context, avidya is more than the absence of knowledge. It implies an element of wrong understanding. It implies a distorted perception. The distortions of perception occur when we're not seeing things as they are. Zogni Rinpoche in Carefree Dignity wrote, Confusion is mistaking something that seems to be for what it isn't. At the same moment, one fails to recognize what actually is. Delusion is this ongoing, moment-to-moment, conceptualizing activity 
of fabricating subject and object that don't really exist. Essentially, this is not noticing anicca, dukkha, and anatta. Ignorance fails to notice these basic characteristics of conditioned phenomena. And it not only does it notice, not notice them, but it often distorts them into presuming that things are lasting and stable, that something has the potential to delight us and bring us lasting happiness, and that there is a self, and that things can be claimed as mine. Avidya is the primary error, the mistake that insight meditation corrects. One of the classic examples of delusion is the um, is the image of the of the the snake on the road. Somebody's walking in the dim light and they see a coiled form on the road and they stop. Oh no, it's a snake! But as they look closely, they realize it's not moving. And that as they look even more closely, they realize it's merely a rope. So they misperceived that out of reactivity, out of fear, out of, um, they misperceived it into confusing the rope for the snake. And unenlightened beings are continuously misperceiving our experience. In the Middle Link Discourses, it says, in whatever way we conceive, the fact is other than that. In whatever way we conceive, the fact is other than that. Most people like to think of themselves as knowledgeable, and it's other people who are ignorant. But we'll find our, our own ignorance anytime we find ourselves trying to make pain go away, reacting against it, resisting it, or any time we're seduced into craving a sensual pleasure or lulled into a kind of complacency. When the Buddha was asked who it was who was wise, he answered, one who understands this is suffering. This is the cause of suffering. This is the end of suffering, and this is the way leading to the end of suffering. Recognizing suffering does not perpetuate suffering. Recognizing suffering empowers us to intervene in the cycle of reactivity that would otherwise perpetuate the suffering. When we react against pain, we've forgotten that pain is the first noble truth that must be fully known. When we indulge in craving, we've neglected to recognize the second noble truth, in craving and abandon that cause of suffering. And when we coast along complacent, we are heedless, not recognizing the fourth noble truth, not cultivating the path. In the Samyutta Nikaya, there's a conversation with Sariputta, and he's asked, what friend is ignorance, and he replies, not knowing suffering, not knowing the origin of suffering, not knowing the cessation of suffering, not knowing the way leading to the cessation of suffering. This is called ignorance. We're ignorant any time we don't see the Four Noble Truths as they occur in our lived experience. 
So as I speak tonight, I want to give a little more emphasis to the second noble truth, the cause of suffering in craving. This second noble truth points so clearly to the causes for our suffering. So do you contemplate craving? Do you wonder why we crave? Perhaps we crave because in ignorance we have misperceived our experience and we really believe at least for that moment, that that experience is capable of providing us lasting happiness. We're gluttons for punishment. We react again and again. We reach for craving things. We crave things again and again. We reach for sensual pleasures again and again in experiences, in relationships, in praise, through various kinds of pleasant feelings. And all of this movement toward getting experience results in only that experience. Experience that doesn't actually have the capacity to satisfy us. We've all had many pleasant experiences in our lives. And we've probably also recognized the unsatisfactory quality to desiring them or having aversion to other experiences. Desire and aversion are painful states. Ignorance is even more basic than the hindrances of desire and aversion. In the Udana it says, I do not perceive any hindrance other than the hindrance of ignorance. Obstructed through ignorance, humankind wanders on for a long time. Ignorance is the root of all unwholesome activity. We'll find delusion present along with accompanying every unwholesome state. It enables all the defilements to occur. When we find this ignorance, we have a potential to root it out. But ignorance is not an object that we can look at and see. It doesn't have mass, it doesn't have shape, it doesn't exist in a location. It's said that the, it is beginningless. The origin of ignorance cannot be found. But given conditions, ignorance is activated. We basically recognize ignorance through its effects. But formations of ignorance arise in the guise of other defilements. It arises with anger, envy, with covetousness, with lust, with arrogance, with conceit, with pride. When we're affected by any defilement, we can recognize that primary defilement, but we can also look at how delusion and ignorance are allowing that defilement to occur. We can observe the ignorance that arises any time there's self-grasping, any time we feel this contraction of me and mine occurring around our experience, any time we sense the loss of that lightness and ease and freedom of being when we're not demanding so much from experience. We can observe self-grasping when it arises, and identify that momentary experience where we convert 
an experience, just a moment of experience into my experience, my insight, my pain, my thoughts, my view. I think it should be like this. I, me, mine. And sometimes it's quite subtle. We identify simply with being the witnesser of the experience, with being conscious, the one who is conscious, the sense of being the observer of our experience, even our meditative experience. We can identify with our meditative attainments, with the way we undertake our meditation practice and with our spiritual accomplishments. When we examine identification, I think it's important that we not come at it really aggressively, trying to abolish identification in our meditation. It's more simple than that, perhaps more subtle and nuanced than that. I think all we need to really do is see how self-grasping functions. When does a concept of self arise? How is it constructed? What interest does it serve? Because this self-grasping is the basic delusion. And if we see it, if we examine it, if we understand how it functions, then we'll be getting right at the root of those defilements. We don't need to engage in a kind of self-bashing, trying to demolish ourselves or destroy our egos. We just need to recognize the process of self-fabricating as it occurs and know it's nothing more than that, a concept of self. And we can also notice when that self-fabricating is absent, when we're not grasping at or constructing or becoming someone. When there's no self-grasping, we don't cease to exist. We don't shrivel up and die. We don't vanish into thin air. The experience of the body, of the senses, of the mind, of feelings, all continue to function. It's simply without the clinging to a reference point to whom this experience might belong. It's simply the bare experience being known, beautifully and peacefully empty, empty of the strain and the burden of self-grasping, empty of taking the experience to be mine and to be who I am. This factor of delusion is a mental factor, and it arises only in unwholesome states. It is not inherent in consciousness. When delusion arises, it conceals reality. It conceals the reality. It conceals the function. It conceals the characteristic of both object and consciousness. We can look at and recognize the mind when it's affected by delusion. But it's really important to also recognize the mind when it is free from delusion. When there's wisdom, when there's clarity, when there's mindfulness and calmness. So that we don't pass over those many moments of a day that are indeed free from delusion. All unwholesome states... can be examined. And wholesome states can also be known. We can experience 
the joy, the peace, the tranquility, the curiosity, the interest, the compassion, the mindfulness that arises when we're not deluded. And we can let those wholesome states occupy our attention for a while. We can get to know them a bit. We can allow space in our minds for them to make an impression. Getting to really know wholesome states can counter the force of delusion. Because this delusion, this ignorance can be quite subtle. And so to root it out, to really examine it, we have to let our mindfulness also to become subtle and allow our discernment to be precise. As we observe our experience, it may be helpful to look really, really closely, not just at the level of, I am having this experience, but catch the beginning of each contact and observe each contact ending. Observe the arising of a feeling and the passing of a feeling. See the changing flow of sensations as they occur moment by moment. And recognize how our perception changes with each feeling, with each sensation. Recognize how the mental state changes as each feeling changes. Investigate change as a general feature of experience, like a river flowing past. And then sometimes look more carefully not generally, but really precisely at the arising and passing of the constituents of our experience. Really look closely, like through a magnifying glass, at what happens in a moment of perception. It's said that those who do not, who do not see endings might tend to form a belief in eternalism, a view of an eternal, enduring, permanent self. And those who do not see arisings might tend to form a belief in annihilationism and fear that their precious self might be destroyed. So with mindfulness, we look at both the arisings and the endings. We develop a middle way of practice. And as we closely examine our experience, we'll see that there really isn't any substantiality in anything that we can find in physical experience of the body or in mental experience. It will be through this direct experience, through this intimate examination, not through belief or assumption. It'll be through really seeing for ourselves that we'll know the impermanence of this mind-body process, this mind-body experience, what's called the five aggregates affected by clinging. This direct experience into the characteristic of impermanence will naturally reveal the unreliability of phenomena, the dukkha element, because we'll find no safety in the body, in the mind, in feeling, nothing to grasp, nothing to keep, nothing to provide lasting happiness. No feeling can can be our salvation, our satisfaction. It doesn't matter how pleasant it is. Pleasure, pain, physical, mental, mundane, spiritual, all feelings arise and pass away. Through recognizing the unreliability and unsatisfactoriness of experience, we simply stop taking experiences to be mine, to be self. We stop craving, 
we stop clinging. We stop seeking more and more experience. This freedom from self-grasping isn't something you need to worry about. Some people hear about freedom and they think, oh no, I'll then lose all my family, I'll lose my friends. I'll disappear from society like a hermit and become a hermit in a cave. But I don't think that's what happens. We don't float up in some kind of conceited or arrogant cloud rising above others who are those mere ignorant fools, those who haven't had the insights yet. Instead, by really understanding ignorance and how deep the root of ignorance is, it awakens a compassion, a profound compassion toward ourselves and towards all beings. Because we understand, because we see how deep and pervasive that root of ignorance can be. And as we recognize that the errors that people make doesn't reflect an inherent evil, judgment and blame and hatred tend to ease. We see the movement of ignorance, an ignorance that all enlightened beings are vulnerable to. We understand the mistakes people make as ignorance rather than evil. And so we discover within our own hearts the space to forgive. We won't hold on to grudges or resentments or hatred. And genuine wisdom will co-arise with this compassion. Compassion for the plight of all beings who suffer in ignorance. We've all made mistakes in the past. As Jesus pointed out, no one is pure enough to throw the first stone. But this should not encourage a passive acceptance of defilements and allow greed and cruelty to run rampant in our minds or in our worlds. But understanding the root defilement as ignorance, this can bring a deep wisdom and equanimity to our encounters, our encounters with unwholesome forces, both within our own minds and in the world. Because we don't all live with an enlightened mind, and we don't live in ideal communities. So we have to muster the courage to face delusion, reducing it in strategic and wise ways whenever and wherever we find it. Wisdom is not about possessing extraordinary knowledge. It's not about collecting many trivial facts or becoming well-studied in Buddhist philosophy. There's really not that much we really need to know to be free. In the Samyutta Nikaya, there's the image of the um, handful of leaves where the Buddha is walking in a forest with a group of monks and he reaches down and picks up a handful of leaves and he says, which are more numerous? The leaves that are in my hand or the leaves in this whole forest grove? And the monks say, more numerous, of course, are the leaves in the forest than the ones in your hand. And he says, 
Just so, much more in number are those I have found are the things I have found out, but not revealed. Very few are the things I have revealed. And why, monks, have I not revealed them? Because they are not concerned with profit. They are not the rudiments of the holy life. They conduce not to revulsion, to dispassion, to cessation, to tranquility, to full comprehension, to the perfect wisdom, to Nibbana. That is why I have not revealed them. And what is it that I have revealed? Just that this is suffering. This is the cause of suffering. This is the end of suffering. This is the way leading to the end of suffering. Why? Because this is concerned with profit, and it does conduce to full comprehension, to perfect wisdom, to Nibbana. Perhaps wisdom may be expressed not only as the clarity of knowing suffering and its cause, but also in the clarity of knowing that there's much we do not know. When we can admit that we really don't know, we're humble enough to keep learning, to keep investigating, to keep practicing. One of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein, said, After all these years of practice and teaching, I know much less now, and it is a great relief. I'd like to end there, and then we'll have a few minutes of meditation, um, and then I'll see if you have any questions before we close. Do you have any comments or questions or discussion on the topic of ignorance? Please. Hi, thank you. I was I was wondering if you were saying that there's a distinction between simply not knowing something and being ignorant. Yeah. In in Buddhism, not knowing something, not being aware, not being mindful, um, doesn't necessarily imply that there is um, ignorance. But ignorance is a distortion of perception. Ignorance is based upon misperceiving experience so that we then see something to be something that it isn't. And it often just happens in seeing something as lasting when in fact it's impermanent. That's the, probably the most pervasive form of ignorance. And we go through our day. I mean, of course, we, know, we will think that the chair is impermanent, and, but we still sit on it. I'm not saying that we think it's changing so much that we can't function. We know that it, it functions as a chair. But we don't, uh, we don't grasp a hold of things. If we see that they're impermanent, if we know that they're impermanent, then we won't try to cling them. We don't try to grasp them. We won't try to get our happiness through them. And that's the kind of fundamental ignorance that, um, you know, that, 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 that occurs. Um, I think you mentioned something around ignorance uh, having no origin. 
Um, I think you were saying something about it being originless. It's or not that it's originless. It arises due to conditions. But at the beginning of it, like where did it start? So I was curious, like in the, in the bigger picture, I feel like there are really good evolutionary reasons why we're ignorant, why we're not seeing things as they are. Um, that suffering is kind of built into... Um, yeah, for evolutionary reasons that we keep craving stuff so it makes us go out and hunt for food or whatnot. And and it feels like there's there's yeah, actually really good evolutionary natural reasons for kind of how our brain got to this state. So um, those would curious. those would be conditions that give rise to ignorance. So and it serves it serves in, in when we when we look at it we can see well what purpose is that serving? You know, so um, um, so, the, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the where 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 ignorance started. Like there's a like there's a thread that you can follow all the way back in time to what point, what place. It's just the the idea is is it's so deep. It's so um, you know didn't just begin yesterday it didn't just begin 10,000 years ago it didn't just begin you know at what point did it begin it's kind of fathomless in a way but certainly there are conditions and we can look at various conditions that um, you know that all our mental states function in and what it serves what do they serve and something that may serve, uh, 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 you know, it, uh, well, I, I won't, I'll skip that one, I'll skip that one. Thank you. Is there another comment? I saw it. Um. Is there a divine or a universal wisdom to ignorance? Is there a divine or universal wisdom to ignorance? Um, Not in the... uh, We're looking at a... The ignorance that we're looking at is a distortion of perception, not seeing things as they actually are. So it's... um, and out of not seeing things, much is built. So it may seem as though ignorance leads us to a great creativity. Because when we don't see the impermanent nature of things and we conceive of ourself in experience, we can develop a, quite an elaborate story that develops our lives, my life, my greatness, etc., but the extent to which we take that as being real rather than activity, um, if we take it to be real, it will produce suffering. It is inevitable that it will produce suffering because it's rooted in ignorance. And where there's ignorance, craving, and clinging tend to circle around each other. Ignorance, craving, and clinging create the conditions for immense suffering.
Thank you for your talk, Shaila. I'm wondering, in your own practice, what you found most useful in learning to recognize ignorance. Um, anytime there's a hindrance or any kind of defilement, I know, my mind knows, because I've learned, there's ignorance at the root of it. And so instead of just working at the level of the hindrance or just working at the level of, oh, that's whatever that defilement is, that craving or that um, whatever it might be, um, desire, aversion, or whatever, whatever it is, I look, I say, okay, I know that, I know that level, but now let's root out the ignorance. And so I actually, it's like looking underneath it to see what was the what was the distortion of perception, and then what was the distortion of perception. And I look deeper and deeper and deeper. I don't go back twenty thousand years or a hundred thousand years, but I do look in, internally, and not at the at the at the superficial level. I look internally to see. Uh, what was the misperception? And so much of it really comes down to uh, um, uh, some initial lurching toward, an inner lurching toward experience as mine, as forming me around. You know, when you look at your thoughts, how many have to do with forming a sense of who we are? And we can see that in the stillness of meditation. We can see that as just this, like this impulse in the mind that is a a, the, the, uh, a deep kind of um, form of ignorance. And out of that, all the hindrances and defilements blossom <laughs> and are fed. <laughs> You know, so the, um, so I look. I'd like to take any any of the hindrances or unwholesome states, and I look underneath them to find to root out the ignorance, and then I start to see the patterns, you know, just the pattern of ignorance or the pattern of delusion underneath all of them. So, so I, the the superficial level of the how the hindrance manifests, we 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 see that after a while. And then we start to see that what's the current underneath it. And is that current really um, wholesome or is it unwholesome? The fortunate thing is when we see... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to thank you. Oh, when we, see, um, when we see these formations of ignorance, it's subtle. So we don't go in with a big kind of club beating it, you know, beating it to death. It's more like we meet it with wisdom and now it's... Poof. Wisdom is usually stronger. Once we meet it with wisdom, once we're mindful of it, it's like, wow, that was interesting. And it doesn't have the, it can't, doesn't claw into us. It doesn't control us in the same way. It doesn't have like the suffering effect once it's seen with wisdom. Instead, there's that tremendous compassion. You know, like, ah, oh, that again. And if if we suffer from that ignorance, how much more do people who don't meditate? <laughs> so there's so much more, you know, or who, who don't work with themselves in some, in some way. So there's a lot more compassion, I think. Thank you. Thank you. No, we're just, okay, last question and then we'll, last comment. Then we'll go. It's opposite, uh, Wisdom. Okay. Wisdom, clear seeing. Clear seeing, yes, yes. Understanding things as they are. Thank you for ending on a positive note.
Thank you all for coming.